When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. It's Dan. This is our Tuesday podcast. And of course, I'll kick it off by telling you about Football Insider. Uh, here's what it entails. First and foremost, you get access to those exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns. On top of that, you get a daily newsletter right in your inbox with something written by one of the members of our Browns reporting team. It comes every single day. It is exclusive. That's two pieces of exclusive content you're going to get every single day just by signing up. And then, of course, there's our texting service where we'll text you with news, analysis, all of that stuff, and you have a chance to come on our pod and pick games, uh, be a part of our Zoom post-game shows. This this upcoming week should be a fun one uh, after the Titans game. So you can get involved in that and have your voice heard after the game on Sunday, just by jumping on the Zoom that we open up to all of our text subscribers. So check it out. Go to cleveland.com slash browns and click on that blue banner right on top of the page. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our Monday edition of the Orange and Brown podcast. I'm Dan Lobby, joined by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing great, Dan. How are you doing? Doing well. And Doug Maurice joining us as well. Doug, how are you? Doing great. Okay. Well, we are doing questions today. Again, uh, as always, with the Browns about to face probably their toughest stretch of games here uh, in this late part of the season. They will travel to Tennessee to play the Titans on Sunday. And then they have a rematch with the Baltimore Ravens uh, on Monday night football. Of course, the Ravens, not the team that the Browns played on September 13th. They are not playing as well as that football team. They are dealing with COVID issues. We don't even know if they're going to end up playing the Steelers on Tuesday night yet. Uh, It looks like it's heading that way, but uh, opportunity here for the Browns to kind of prove they belong. So we're going to ask four questions kind of about this game, about where the Browns are right now, and, and do a little reset as they head into December right in the playoff chase. So let's get to it. First question, what will the Browns record be after the next two weeks, they are currently eight and three. So what's their record going to be after the next two weeks? You know what? I think I'm going to say nine and four. I mean, originally, if I had looked at this stretch of games and the Ravens had their full complement of players and weren't going through what they're going through right now. I mean, you don't really even know when guys can, can come back off the COVID-19 uh, list. Uh, There are so many things that they have to go through and they just have a boatload of people on the list. Uh, Not only that, Calais Campbell, who got his hands up and batted down some Baker Mayfield passes in the first game, uh, you know, he's been out with a calf injury. I I just don't think that they are the team that everyone thought that they were going to be this year. 
and Lamar, you know, there are some chinks in the armor there. So I don't know, that's going to be a big, huge Monday night football game for the Browns at home. Uh, and, you know, they, they're going to have a lot to prove. I, I just think uh, that they're going to be playing lights out that game. So I'm going to give them that one uh, for right now, the way things stand today. Um, the Titans, I'm going to call that one. I'm probably going to pick the Browns to lose in, in Tennessee. Uh, again, as we've talked about, I don't think they're going to win the rest of their games. Uh, so they're probably going to lose one or two at least here somewhere. And uh, in Tennessee is about as, as decent a, a game to pick them to lose as any. So I agree with nine and four. I think there was a time when we all looked at the last six games of the season and we said, Jets, Giants, Jaguars win, Titans, Ravens, Steelers loss, right? And it was kind of easy. And of course, the NFL is never that easy. You know, the Giants are all of a sudden look like probably the most likely team to win the NFC East, and they are going to have huge incentive. I mean, they're going to need that game against the, Brown, against the Browns, and they're playing a little better. Their defense is actually kind of good. I mean, every now, you know, they have a couple guys that can make plays on offense. So, you know, that Giants game I don't think is as easy as we would have said a month ago, but I also don't think the Titans game or the Ravens game, the next two games are as hard as we would have said a month ago. And, and the COVID issue is, as you said, Mary Kay is one issue for the Ravens. But again, as you said, they kind of weren't who we thought they were already. Lamar's not having the season that we thought they would have. They aren't the team. The Browns aren't the team that we thought they were based on week one. And what was it? 38, six lost to the Ravens and the Ravens aren't the team. We thought they were based on that week one win. And you have to remember, this is a Browns team that did beat Lamar Jackson at his peak and the Ravens last year. So there are guys on this team who know how to do that. So I think nine and four makes a lot of sense. And I think it could go either way. Again, I mean, this is how the NFL works. I certainly think the Browns could beat the Titans. And then all of a sudden now, you know, the Ravens are in trouble. They really need something. Then they lose. I just think it's, if listen, if they win the next two, and they're 10 and three, they are a different team than we have been talking about all year. I mean, we were talking about like, hey, sort of like nine and seven, 10 and six. Now we're kind of talking 10 and six, 11 and five. If we are suddenly talking, are they going to go 12 and four or 13 and three? We are off the reservation. So get back to us in two weeks. If they win these next two, holy moly. But I also at this point will be very surprised if they lose both of these. Yeah, it's right. fun. I mean, that right, surprise me. right now they're sort of the the feel good story, and everybody's happy about the Browns. And you know, if they if they make the playoffs, hey, good job, congrats, guys. See what we can do. Come back next year, you know, and and we're really going to buy in all the way. If they do win these next two games, it's going to be just a circus. I mean, you're you're talking about all of a sudden those expectations. I think get raised about what you might be able to do in January. I'm really torn on this. I, you know. The Baltimore stuff, as far as everything going on with them, worries me. But if they're through that, you're kind of playing a team with their backs against the wall. And you're playing a team completely, you know, an AFC North team. They're desperate. They're going to have to have that game. I don't think the Browns are going to have to have that game. And, you know, you aren't going to have 70,000 fans in that stadium just lubed up, ready to go. Um, so I don't know. That, that one has me a little more nervous than the Tennessee game. If Baltimore gets through all these COVID issues, you know, and, and starts getting guys back, but they're banged up there. They've lost key players. Both these teams have lost two of the best tackles in football uh, and Taylor Lewan. And then um, 
course, here I am. I'm blanking on Baltimore. Ronnie uh, Stanley. Right, Ronnie Stanley. And, uh, you know, that's big with Miles Garrett coming back. So yeah. let me ask you this, because I'm going to be kind of boring, too, and I'm going to say nine and four. What if they're eight and five? Does, does it matter? Does it change anything for you if – a couple of weeks from now, we're talking about a team that's lost two in a row and is about to go play the, the Giants. And it makes that Giants game more important, Doug, like you mentioned. I think that's a better team than we thought. Uh, but does it change a whole lot if they do go out and lose these games and are at least, you know, they're competitive and they don't lose to Baltimore by 30 again? You know what? I, I think I think they can overcome eight and five. I mean, things do get a little bit dicier there because you don't know for sure uh, if ten wins are going to do it. I mean, again, I've I've been through a ten win non playoff season, and it looks like uh, not every ten win team is going to make it in the AFC. So I do think that uh, eight and five, you know, tightens things up uh, to to a great degree, and you start to have some teams. There are a few teams that that have a little bit of an easier schedule as you go along, like the Ravens, I think it, it tails off for them a little bit. They start to, yeah. uh, uh, you know, it eases up for them. Uh, you know, so I, you know, I do think that, you know, you don't want to put yourself behind the eight ball, so to speak, no pun intended. Um, but I don't think it's, you know, you can overcome, you know, you can certainly overcome eight and five. And I do want to say, I do, I think that those two tackles being out, Ronnie Stanley, and Taylor Lewan, I, I think that's very significant for these two games because if you have to commit extra guys to Miles Garrett, it changes. It just changes the way that you have to play. Now, if a team, if you're not facing, uh, you know, a Nick Bosa or a Joey Bosa or a Miles Garrett, you can get away without having a Taylor Lewan. You can get away without having a Ronnie Stanley. But when you have that guy, when you've got Miles Garrett, uh, the game wrecker, uh, you really miss uh, that that premier left tackle and I think that that makes those guys both vulnerable I don't think if they lost both games it would it would change our view necessarily of how good they are what kind of team they are because sometimes you just lose you know I mean I and I do think in the playoff race you have to remember they have a two-game lead on the Raiders right now and the Ravens if the Ravens whenever the Steelers game is played you know, if the Ravens don't win that game, the Browns have a two-game lead on the Ravens. So they really they really have built up some wiggle room here. And I think you would reach this point, but as you said, Dan, what it does is then now you can't lose to the Giants, right? You can't lose three in a row. So, you know, you reach a point or whatever the Giants or Jets is, but you can't lose, I don't think, to the Titans and the Ravens and the Giants. So there's room in there for a bad week. There honestly is. There's room for, holy moly, that was, ugh. But I also think I agree with what the players were saying after the game on Sunday and what Kevin Stefanski was saying, that they, they still have a game out there, their best game, I think, in them still, which is if they drop that this week on the Titans, Miles Garrett is back. You don't stop Derrick Henry, but he doesn't absolutely destroy you. Meanwhile, your running backs do the same thing to them. Baker is efficient. Like, that's out there. So um, I just don't think I, – I mean, I don't even want to say it. Like, I just, they're not going to collapse. I don't think, like, they're not, this is not, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't, they're not going to fall apart. And so if you have some bad breaks, you know, I mean, you have bad breaks and you lose some close games. That happens to anybody. But I, I really don't, I think we know who this team is. I really do. I think we have a pretty good read on this team and they're pretty darn competitive. And I think that will continue for the next five weeks, even if there's a weird loss or a weird win in there. I think yeah, the only... 
Go ahead, Mary Kay. I was gonna say, I think the only kind of a team right now that can really mess things up uh, for, for the Browns would be a team with a really good defense. And there just aren't that many of those teams left. There aren't that many of those kinds of teams in the NFL. It's the kind of team that can stop your run and mess with Baker Mayfield. And there's such a Browns have such a good offensive line that that's why they don't collapse. If you have a really good offensive line and a really good running game, you're going to hold up against a lot. Uh, and so there's just, even the Titans, they don't have that, that good of a defense. They're playing a lot of inferior defenses where you don't have to worry about Baker getting pressured into mistakes and you don't have to worry about the run game getting completely shut down. So I think, I think they match up pretty well against most of the teams coming up, except for the Steelers defensively. That's the kind of defense that I'm talking about. Uh, and I'm talking about, and that's the Ravens when they're healthy, when their defense is healthy, they also have that defense. Yeah. Now, now what does make this stuff important though, is, um, one of you, I think it was Mary Kay, mentioned the Ravens' schedule. They have this is on uh, Football Outsiders by DVOA. They have the easiest remaining schedule um, in the league, and then you know you've got the Raiders are thirtieth. This is counting down from thirty-two, so the Ravens are thirty-two, uh, the Raiders are thirtieth, Miami is twenty-eight, the Browns are twenty-seventh. So this is this is going to be kind of a sprint here to get to ten wins, and and obviously the the Browns have that advantage of having eight already. Um, and then when you get to 10, you got to hope some tiebreakers go your way. So getting to 11 would certainly be nice uh, for this football team. And they have a chance to do that um, as well uh, as we move forward. Okay, so uh, our next question here, as I pull it up, give me one second. What do you hope to see from this team in this game against the Titans? This is probably the biggest game of the year, at least in context of where we are now. So, you know, and then of course, Baltimore will be the biggest game after that one. But right now, Tennessee is probably the biggest game to this point. Um, what, so what do you need to see on Sunday? You're not allowed to just say win. What, what do you want to see from the Browns, win or lose? That'll make you come away feeling like, all right, that game was fine. Obviously, it's great if they win, but if they don't win, what do you, what do you need to see? I would be very interested in that. I, I just feel like so much of this team is locked in. We know what the offensive line is. We know what the run game is. We know the defense is what it is. I, I'm not waiting for, I mean, I, you could say, oh, I hope we see him stop Derrick Henry. I have no anticipation of that at all. So I'm just assuming that Derrick Henry is going to run for like 223 yards. The thing that I think is the most up in the air thing is Baker Mayfield. So what I would be very curious to see is a game where Baker Mayfield doesn't miss a throw. That, he has made progress, so we're, we're, we're sort of now talking about not bad things he does, but we're talking about good things he misses, which is progress on its own. But if you have a game where there's not a third down throw that he misses to a wide open guy, there's not a guy in the end zone that he misses when it looks like it should have been a touchdown, and you walk away and there's just not one of those sticking in your head, because a couple of those, you know, we, we all know what we're talking about with those throws that have stuck in our head. That's next level. And that's what I think it's going to take. Like we sort of talked about, I think last week, Hey, when you miss a throw in the end zone against the Eagles or the Texans or the Jaguars, you maybe can survive it. That very well might be the difference between winning and losing against a team like the Titans that you end up with a three instead of a seven because you had a dude wide open and he didn't hit it. So man, if you got out of there, this fan base that there, there was, we talk about it and we have to talk about it when he does miss those. But if there wasn't even one of those throws to talk about, holy moly, in a win, holy moly, 
would we be at a, I think a sort of a new place with the Browns? You know what, for, for purposes of this discussion, I, I will go to the other side of the ball. I think that uh, as they move forward and they do start to play some better teams, you want to know uh, that they can do a better job on the run. You know, you've got, you know, you've got guys like uh, James Robinson running for 128 yards against them and stuff. So I think they need, I do think that they need to do a better job there, obviously. And, and then also they have proven to be somewhat vulnerable uh, against, against a good quarterback in, in the passing game. And, you know, I, I think that they, they need to have a good solid defensive performance where they're not giving up big plays. Yeah. I want to see this team, um, you know, we've talked so much about identity and kind of who this football team is and how we really have a good feel for, for that identity. And we've seen them go into games and just really impose their will right now. That doesn't always happen when you play good teams because those other teams are good for a reason. They, they don't allow you to do it. Um, but you know, I, like, I remember when Las Vegas came into first energy stadium, I thought I've talked about this. They out Browns the Browns a little bit. They imposed their will on the Browns and did what they wanted to. They decided we're making this a 13 possession game. And that's what they did. Um, I would like to see the Browns go into Tennessee and just say, this is what we're going to do. Go ahead and stop us and believe that the Titans won't be able to do it. Now, if, if the Titans do great, you've got to make adjustments and it is what it is, but I just want to see the Browns go into that football game be who they are and just, just beat the Titans. Just do what they do best and use that identity, establish that identity and just have a game where they are, where the Cleveland Browns is, is who we are and you can't stop us against a, a pretty good football team. Kevin Stefanski was talking about that Monday on the Zoom with everybody, that the four minute, right? That they call it the four minute offense. That doesn't mean there's has to be four minutes left, but it's sort of like the put the game away offense. What if they could run the four minute for 60 minutes, right? That that's <laughs> kind of, it's like, that's, they're doing that. They are absolutely putting games away and converting the third down. That screen to end the game uh, against Jacksonville was great. It wasn't a run, but it was the people who make the run work who were doing it. So if you could just do that, Dan, what you're saying, it's like, oh, what happened in the first half? Oh, the Browns had like three 15-play drives. It's like, oh, okay, <laughs> great. Like that would be – that would really be something. Again, which is kind of what it felt like Tennessee, which only was 9-7 and seven last year before its playoff run, just – there was no mystery about it. They just started running people over with Derrick Henry, and that was it, and there was no answer. And if that happens, boy, oh, boy. And I don't think it would shock us if it did, but I think that's a, I think that's a great answer, Dan, that like, that's certainly, that certainly seems possible to me now, you know, the Titans aren't going to, they know they're going to try to do that too, but man, that would be quite a thing if it felt like four minutes for 60 minutes. We've got a quick bonus question here. Uh, the Browns and Texans, I just looked this up, played a two hour and 35 minute game a few weeks ago. They remember they had that delay and the game still managed to end like right when all the other one o'clock games end. Two-hour, 35-minute game over under on Sunday with both teams just running the ball back and forth against each other. Probably got to be over, right? But I think this, this has the potential to be one of those quick games. <laughs> I mean, we, I might take the under. I mean, it's like we saw this weird Saints-Broncos game, right, this week where neither team yeah. really had a quarterback, so they just ran it the whole time. This is not a anything – saying negative about Ryan Tannehill, who again has been super efficient in their success and has been really valuable, but man, 
If you got Hunt and Chubb and Henry, maybe you just turn Baker Mayfield and Ryan Tannehill into what the Saints and Broncos game was. You throw like five passes for each team. Jeff let these running backs run all day and you play in like 90 minutes. All right. We touched on Baker a little bit. So for our third question, we're going to go back to Baker Mayfield. Uh, we're going to go back in time just a little to that Pittsburgh game. Uh, you remember he was coming off the Colts game. He had thrown two picks in the second half. He comes out against Pittsburgh. It's just a disaster all around. He's picked off the pick six early in the game through another interception in the first half. Uh, then throws an interception to start the Cincinnati game. Starts that game 0 for 5. And everybody's starting to wonder, are we going to start seeing, are we going to see Case Keenum? Do they need to just give, sit Baker down for a little bit, even if it's just the rest of this Bengals game? I mean, that was starting to become a real topic. And now here we are. Baker Mayfield uh, is into December. He hasn't thrown an interception since that Cincinnati game. Uh, he's thrown seven touchdown passes. Five of them came against Cincinnati, but he's taking care of the football. What's changed about Baker since that Pittsburgh game in, in your guys' mind? The weather, for one thing. <laughs> <laughs> the weather uh, played a huge factor. Uh, three games were weather games where uh, in one of them, there was so much wind that as Kevin Stefanski put it, it was not a game for the forward pass. So uh, the weather kind of grounded him a little bit and they, they just weren't letting, letting him fling it all over the yard. Uh, so he just wasn't in a position to be throwing a bunch of interceptions. So I think that, you know, I mean, I think it's great that, that he hasn't thrown inter in interceptions. He's gone four straight games without one. As you mentioned, he hasn't thrown one since that first, his first pass of the Cincinnati game. Uh, I, I think they have reset him as well at the bye week and they're doing some different things with him, a little bit more play action. I think they're, they're playing the, the boot and rollout game with him a little bit more. I think they're trying to do things where he feels more comfortable and where he feels more confident. Specifically, I think the play action. Um, so I, I think that they're, they're building a, a better game plan for Baker Mayfield. And I think that's helped a lot. And I think the fact that he hasn't thrown an interception in 123 attempts is helping him get his seed legs a little bit, get his confidence so that when he does need a little bit of swagger, uh, he can call it forth. John Costco, a, a PFF analyst that I like on Twitter, tweeted this out on Monday afternoon. Top graded quarterbacks the last six weeks. Patrick Mahomes, 91.4. Deshaun Watson, 90.5. Aaron Rodgers, 88.1. Kirk Cousins, 87.9. Baker Mayfield, 85.3. So that's the fifth highest QB grade in the last six weeks of the season. I think, I sort of gave my answer too early in the last one. He's making sins. He has sins of omission now instead of sins of commission. That it's what he's not doing instead of what he's doing. And I think those are connected. I think when it, if we see him kind of missing some throws, maybe he's trying to get it over a defensive lineman so it's not tipped. Maybe he's trying to put it in a spot where, you know, only his guy can catch it, but he's just not risking interceptions. Like he's just, Mary Kay, you're right. The weather didn't give him the chance to risk some. But I feel like that Minka Fitzpatrick interception and it wasn't you know he did throw some since then but that was such a thing of like what was that and i think he's at the moment he rather he would rather not throw something than risk something like that and i think he would 
sometimes to me, I just thought like the Higgins miss in the end zone. I understood why he double pumped, but then when he threw it, I thought he put too much zip on it when he could have feathered it because the guy's so wide open. But if you don't put zip on it, then maybe you open up the chance for a defender to get in there and make a pick. Like he's just, whatever he's doing now, he's not going to throw a pick. And so maybe the result is he's not going to make as many big plays, but I think that's what Kevin Stefanski wants. And so to me, he has decided, you know, kind of the weird, like throw it up against Cincinnati that Odell got hurt on. Like, I'm not going to do that anymore. The, how do you not see the safety there? And you had a pick six against Fitzpatrick. I'm not going to do that anymore. And so I'm going to take what's there. And I'm trying to think of times. Now, listen, he does make some tight window throws where it's like, man, that defender was half a step away from maybe getting his hands on that. But I'm trying to remember, I don't feel like have there been a million plays in the last month where guys dropped interceptions? It doesn't feel like it to me. That's so. something. Sometimes you're lucky and you throw a very interceptable pass and they just don't intercept it. I don't feel like it's that either. So in some way that's progress. So the interceptions are gone. Now he just has to convert more of the good things that are there, but like he's halfway down the path. But I do think it was almost a line in the sand. And I think Mary Kay, you're right. Whatever happened at the bye week Kevin Stefanski said, these let's rewatch your interceptions. See all these, no more of those. And that's locked in. And that's a good thing. So I, I talked about this after the Pittsburgh game. The interception, the pick six was awful, but the, the interception that really bugged me was the second one where he rolled out and there was nothing there and he just threw the ball up for grabs. And it, it wasn't a play that a guy who had started 30 plus games in the NFL should make. And we haven't seen that sort of throw again. We haven't seen the bad interception like he threw to Minka, but we also haven't seen the, I'm just going to throw this up for grabs and see what happens throw. I think he's put that gunslinger mentality away. You know, he came into the league, he was Brett Favre, and you know, this is the guy he is. And he's put a lot of that away. This kind of speaks to what you were saying, Doug. It, he's, he's put that away, and he's just sort of taken what's there. He's more willing to throw the football away, sometimes to a fault. He's gotten a couple of grounding penalties in recent weeks. Uh, but, you know, you'll take those over interceptions. Um, so I think there's part of that. And the other thing, and this speaks to kind of what you said, Mary Kay, I think this coaching staff kind of knows – what they want out of him now. They kind of know how to coach him. They've had him on the field. They've coached games with him. And I think it's not just Baker getting comfortable with what they want from him, but it's the coaching staff really understanding how to kind of pull the best from him. There was a reel on Twitter that somebody put together yesterday of all of his, his good throws from the game. And I think almost every single one had some sort of play action in it or was a rollout or something like that. So I think the coaching staff is getting more comfortable coaching him and putting him in those positions um, where, where he can make some of those throws and, and minimize what could turn into mistakes. And I, I don't, I don't want to overlook the obvious thing too. I think Nick Chubb being back on the field helps Baker Mayfield. Yes. <laughs> and you know what? He doesn't have to be a gunslinger because they have the two headed monster. So that's one factor. And then another one is, I mean, and, and you know, we can't forget about the fact that, I mean, you know, when you go and you play, the Jaguars, it's, you know, it's a bad defense. It's just a bad defense. And they were minus two starting cornerbacks. They did not have their best pass rusher. So it is also a factor that he hasn't faced the best defenses in the NFL during this stretch either. So it will be interesting to see when he plays a better defense, do some of these things hold up, but I think they will. I think they will for the most part, because they did sit down with him and show him every interception and what he did wrong and how he made the wrong read. And, um, and also uh, they do have him throwing the ball to the tuba player 
the way that uh, Alex Van Pelt described that the other day, throw the, throw the ball away. And he is willing to do that now. So I think even when he gets into a situation against a good defense, uh, I think he's going to throw the ball away, play, use more play action, more boots, more rollouts, and also um, rely way more heavily on the two-headed monster. I do think if you really go back and look that if so Chubb gets get hurt against Dallas, I think without Chubb, Beaker, Baker's peaks and valleys get bigger. Like on an EKG, both are up and down more. That So he comes back the next week, Colts, he's awesome for the first half, then he's awful without Chubb. Then the Steelers game, he's awful without Chubb. Then the Bengals game, he starts off terrible, then he's awesome without Chubb. And then the Raiders game was weird because of the weather. But I feel like having the two-headed monster, Mary Kay, as you said, having that back has sort of evened him out. Mm -hmm. So maybe we're not seeing the Bengals peaks because you don't need to see the Bengals peaks because you've got Chubb and Hunt together. And we're not seeing the Steelers or the second half of the Colts lows because he doesn't have to be in those situations where he has to do it all and then he's terrible. And so now he can kind of just do his thing because he's not the primary focus. As good as Kareem is, when you only have one, it just puts more in the pass game. And now that they are who they are, Baker, maybe it's slopes, right? He still has ups and downs, but they're not as drastic. And I think that is also what Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt want. Okay, we're going to take a break, and then we'll have one more question uh, coming up after that. Right, back on our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, Doug Maurice, and we've got one more question to answer, and this is one where we have to take a long look in the mirror, look back at what we predicted, and admit what we got wrong this season. I'll, this is not going to be my answer, but I'll just say I predicted the Browns to go 8-8 eight and eight this season, so it looks like I'm going to be wrong on that one, uh, but that's not what I'm going to throw out there. What did you get wrong about this football team this year? Or even if you don't want to go all the way wrong, just what happened, what unexpected thing kind of got you here with, with this team at eight and three? You know what? I would have to say 100%. The thing that I got wrong uh, is the prediction that, uh, that Baker Mayfield and the passing game were going to be, you know, efficient and look sort of like a well-oiled machine throughout the entire season that they would, uh, you know, just plug them into the, this uh, Kevin Stefanski offense and that it was, it was going to look good. I thought that with uh, the offensive line that they have, with the running backs that they have, with the receivers that they had, that if you put them into, you know, I've seen other guys plugged into this type of an offense before, and it usually turns out pretty well. And they come up with, you know, really big numbers and they're top 10 in the NFL in their quarterback rating. And I thought all of those things were going to happen a little easier than they did. And it's been a longer journey and way more of a transition uh, than I thought it would be. And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with the fact uh, that they just didn't have an off season. They did not have an opportunity to put it on the grass until August. And, and that that's just a tough, tall order uh, for anybody. So, um, so I think I overestimated what the passing game under Kevin Stefanski was going to look like this season. I think it's, it's coming along, but it took longer than I thought. Dan, you usually do this on the uh, Friday picks pod when we have the live texter in the zoom. 
can I just give a shout out to the Browns tech subscription? I'm a subscriber. And I just got a text from you in the middle of this podcast. Right. <laughs> right. With you breaking did. news. A, a news update. So see, while we're sitting here podcasting. So worth it. Give the number, Dan. So worth it. <laughs> oh, what man, it? I don't remember the number. We haven't promoted ah. the number in forever. Oh, wait. 216-208-3965. Although I think uh, you can also go to cleveland.com slash brown and click on the blue banner at the top of the page. Man, get signed up for this stuff, people. Are you texting Jesus and Thompson, Dan? I sure did. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. We just did that um, live on the pod. That's usually like a text exchange. And there we go. We just did that, did so did that they, live on the pod. Wait, have they tweeted this out yet? Have the Browns tweeted it? Uh, they emailed it. Oh, they emailed it? Okay. Yeah. I, 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 podcast. So, you know, I, I'm not <laughs> Dan. You're texting away and I'm like this waiting is, for the- <laughs> this. Is how, this is how the, the sausage gets made here. You know what I got wrong? Not that Kevin Stefanski is a good coach because I was pretty confident that they had found a, a guy that could do this job but just kind of how quickly he's created this buy-in and how quickly, just really how smoothly everything has gone. Because let's be honest, you didn't have a real off-season program. You, you've got these COVID protocols to deal with. So guys aren't in the building together. You don't have team building opportunities. Uh, guys don't get time in the cafeteria, time in the locker room, all of that stuff. And Kevin Stefanski has really just navigated everything and, and put this team in a position where it just really feels like they're headed, like they're pointed in the right direction, regardless of what happens in December, this team's going in the right direction. It, feel, it really feels like they have the guy in place now to lead this team forward. Um, and I just think the way he's navigated everything and, and been able to build a team, build cohesiveness, you win the games you're supposed to win, not have those hiccups. I just think it's been really impressive. And I think I underestimated, even though I felt really good about Kevin Stefanski, especially after I went and wrote that story on him right after he was hired. Um, I felt really good that, that hey, they might have something here. I, I think I, even I underestimated him a little bit and, and the job he's done putting this team in the position they're in right now. So I do think that's a good point. I also think nothing bonds a team quicker than winning. And they were fortunate a little bit in that they had the rough week one. They get a rookie quarterback in week two who actually puts up numbers, but they win 35-30. Week three against Washington, Dwayne Haskins keeps throwing it to them. The Cowboys game, the Cowboys defense is awful, and the Browns were able to put points on that. Things a little bit worked in their favor that I think Kevin Stefanski could be the same guy. And if they played – like if they had the Texans schedule to start the season, the Texans played the Chiefs and the Ravens and whoever else they played, and then Bill O'Brien got fired. Not that Kevin Stefanski was going to get fired, but I do think he, they've capitalized on being able to ease into it a little bit. And I think there was early on, I think a lot of us, around everybody around the league was talking about teams that have continuity will have an advantage in the pandemic. And the Browns have no continuity, and they're eight and three. So all credit to them for that, but they also were able to ease in a little bit, which helped him get his feet under him. But yes, all credit to Kevin Stefanski. The thing that I would say I was wrong about the most, safety stink, I knew that. Linebackers stink, I knew that. Defensive line, Miles Garrett, awesome, we all knew that. Offensive line, we knew that would be good. Run game, good. Uh, Odell, you still didn't know? Like Odell and Baker, who knew? I don't know if anyone had a good prediction on that. Who? That was a coin flip, what that was ever going to be. I wasn't exactly sure how Chubb and Hunt would work together. Would they be in the backfield together? Would Hunt be at receiver sometimes? How do they split the carries? How does nobody get mad? 
And what they have been able to do with that, not only does it work like they need each other, they make each other better. They keep each other, each other fresh. They run the ball so much. There are plenty of carries to go around. And I feel like the Browns have taken the two-headed monster at tailback, which is not new in the NFL. They have taken it to another level. I think they are winning in a different way than anybody in the league. And I get it. Okay, the, the Ravens have Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards or whatever. That's not Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Like, they are winning. They have taken what was a strength and turned it into an elite unit that nobody else in the league can match seamlessly. They're different style of runners. They complement each other. They come in. They go out. Chubb, I mean, we all see it. And that that has been at that level when I was kind of like, Hey, well, if they have, they signed hunt, maybe they don't want to pay Chubb. They'll do this. Listen, man, this is something special with these two guys. And it's a credit to the two of them. It's a credit to the offensive line. It's a credit to the play calling. It's a credit to this Kevin Stefanski offense. This run game is special when I thought, yeah, they're good players, but how is it really going to work? I cannot believe how wonderfully this has all fit together. Yeah, well, you know, look, I'm the one that planted my flag and the Kareem Hunt's going to be the third receiver. Didn't quite work out that way. I'm, I mean, yeah, I certainly am surprised how they've used these two guys because I thought we'd see them more together and I wondered how they would balance that. But they really have managed to kind of separate them and still have them both be effective. Um, I also said Nick Harris would be the starting right guard. So there you go. <laughs> No, don't well, go back through my archives. Whatever you do, don't go back through my archives. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I, I really think that, you know, while people wanted to see them together on the field, Nick and Kareem, I think it does work so much better uh, to let one catch their breath while the other one goes out there and tears it up. And Alex Van Pelt described it as, you know, Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield the other day. And the fact that they can uh, have fresh legs when they, they come back out there instead of having them both out there on, on every single play. I, I think that that has been uh, such an effective way uh, to use those guys. And that's probably different than what I thought would happen. I thought there would be plenty of times when you might see Kareem, you know, lined up, you know, split out wide or lined up in the slot or, you know, in the wishbone or whatever they would do to get them on the field together. But no, this is like, you get to the fourth quarter and we're just going to hit you with one and then we're going to knock you out with the other. And then we're going to hurdle over you with the next guy. And it's just been devastating. I think in the end, two things made this Browns team difficult to evaluate in the preseason. When you thought, how good are they really going to be? One's the pandemic and the fact that they had a new coach and a new GM. And that, again, you figure, well, John Harbaugh is going to handle it. Mike Tomlin's going to handle it. But how are the Browns going to handle it with a new coach? That just made it hard. And the second thing was how much you allowed your prediction to be scarred by what happened last year. Because we all thought they were going to be good and they were six and 10. And so, yes, you thought, okay, well, if you believed in Kevin Stefanski more than Freddie Kitchens, but could you really let it all go? Because when you looked at the talent, if, you, if last year didn't exist and everybody didn't feel burned by being wrong, me more than anyone, I said 12 and four. If, you, if, you just, if that had never happened and you just looked at this team, they have a lot of good players. Yeah. So to say, oh, I think they're a playoff team wouldn't have been crazy, but it was like you were sort of pulled back because you thought it a year ago and you were wrong and they haven't won in 20 years. And so the past, I think, dragged us all down, media, fans, everyone to varying levels. And it actually turns out that basically 
The past has nothing to do with the 2020 Cleveland Browns. They are who they are. They are well coached. They have good talent. The only thing the past might do is maybe humbled some guys who thought they were going to be awesome last year and it didn't work out. So maybe it's only a positive the way that worked out. So man, a lot of it is just, I don't know that any of us are shocked by this because go through Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Jack Conklin, Austin Hooper, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Baker Mayfield, Miles Garrett, Sheldon Richardson, Denzel Ward, go through it. That's a playoff team. And all they're doing is they have allowed themselves to be what their talent says they actually are. It's just that we haven't actually seen that in Cleveland for a long time. Yeah, I, I backed off from, I was going back and forth between 10 victories and nine. I went back and forth and back and forth. And I brought it down to nine because of, of last season. And because, you know, when Grant Delpit went down, uh, it just seemed like, you know, they didn't have Ronnie Harrison yet. It seemed like they were going to struggle. Greedy, you know, Greedy went down. Uh, they were starting to get some, a little bit of injuries. And then, um, and then Baker, you know, it just looked like they were having a hard time putting it together in training camp. It just was looking a little uneven and a little ragged. And I think that, I mean, that freaked some people out, like, really, you know, people really were tampering down their expectations. Uh, so I did come down from 10 to nine. I went back and forth and back and forth. And I, I aired on the side of uh, not enough victories, I think. Well, I went all the way down to eight. So <laughs> there you have it. And they got eight before December even, uh, even showed up. So yeah, I, I do think we were all scarred a little bit by going so kind of gung-ho uh, last season and it all just sort of falling apart. Uh, it is a credit to this football team for uh, getting to where they are. Big game against Tennessee coming up on Sunday. Of course, we'll cover it all. We told you about Football Insider already. Getting texts while we're podcasting. Head to <laughs> cleveland.com slash browns. Click on the blue banner at the top of the page to get all the information about that. And make sure you're subscribed to Orange and Brown Talk. We're back on the regular schedule this week. Uh, so that means seven pods coming. And, of course, the post-game pod after the Titans game. Doug, I know you guys will have a new guy to watch the tape coming on Tuesday and then another one on Friday, correct? That is correct. I think we're going to have Scott and Ellis are going to break down some other sort of non-superstars on the team to see how they're playing. Important guys might have like a Terrence Mitchell breakdown, for instance, on Tuesday. And then, of course, I think by Friday we'll have Ellis really breaking down some film on how the heck the Browns are going to try to deal with Derrick Henry. A little, a little Money Mitch breakdown. There we go. All right, so that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast for Doug and Mary Cam. Dan, thanks for listening.